Welcome to the Life After Sugar podcast. The podcast that's not just about sugar, but about your relationship with it and also with food and especially with yourself. So if you want to discover your life after sugar and hear inspiring stories from all kinds of people who also cut out sugar in their way, at their pace, for their own reasons, this is the podcast for you. Because you know, when you take away the sugar, you can finally discover the real sweetness in your life. I'm your host, Netta Gorman. And this week is a special Mythbusters episode where we're going to bust some myths about sugar, cravings, and basically life after sugar. We'll be busting myths like everything in moderation, the myth that we have to eat three, four, five, six times a day to keep our blood sugar up and not break our metabolism, the myth that your brain needs sugar to function and the myth that you need sugar to have fun in life. And if you quit sugar, you'll suffer the rest of your life with cravings and always want what you see others eating and feel like you're missing out. I think it's time to bust these myths. But first, I just wanted to tell you that if you're looking for some free resources about how to get rid of cravings, then I have plenty for you. Come check out the Life After Sugar Facebook page and subscribe to the Life After Sugar YouTube channel as well as my Instagram account at MyLifeAfterSugar which is where you'll get all kinds of inspiration so that you can see that it's perfectly possible to live a happy and active life even if you don't eat sugar. You can also check out my TikTok account at Netta underscore LifeAfterSugar. And you can also download my five tips to start getting rid of cravings. Look in the description in the show notes along with this episode. All right, let's get to busting some myths. And the first myth is one I talked about way back in episode 12 of the Life After Sugar podcast. And that has to do with the belief or the message that we get of everything in moderation. And where sugar's concerned, well, I'm not denying that there are people on this planet that can moderate sugar. And between you and me, I envy them. And good for them. But the fact is that many, many, many of us can't moderate sugar. And being told to do so is totally counterproductive. I mean, it all sounds very good to be told that a moderate intake of refined sugar can be an acceptable part of a healthy diet. I'm sure you've seen this kind of message all over the place, very probably from the processed foods industry and very often from nutritionists and dietitians. You may have heard experts who define a moderate intake of sugar as not more than 10% of calories per day which would be the equivalent of 200 calories from sugar per day if you're eating a 2,000 calorie diet. And that translates into about 12 teaspoons or 50 grams of refined sugar. 
Now, if you believe that that is moderation, then carry on. But if you want to know my point of view, well, that sounds like an enormous amount of sugar, even if it may be lower depending on your age and gender, and even if it's the World Health Organization who actually recommends this amount. Actually, that's not quite accurate. The World Health Organization Sugars Intake Guideline actually says that people may benefit from limiting free sugar intake to less than 5% of total calorie intake based on a 2,000 calorie diet, which translates into about 26 grams or 6 teaspoons a day of free sugars or added refined sugars. That's 6 teaspoons per day for women or 9 teaspoons of added sugars for men. And to be fair, the World Health Organization recommends no more than this amount. And as I asked on episode 127 of the Life After Sugar podcast, is that a moderate amount? And how much sugar is too much anyway? Well, funnily enough, the AHA, or American Heart Association, asked the very same question. It's just that I'm not sure that the AHA and I see eye to eye on our answers. I mean, I do admire that the AHA keeps a positive outlook. It quotes research that suggests that 77% of Americans are striving for less sugar in their diets and that 7 out of 10 consumers are willing to give up a favourite sugary product in favour of finding a healthier alternative. And I definitely agree with the AHA when they say that your best defence is education. But the thing is, that recommendation from the World Health Organization of a maximum of 6 teaspoons of added sugars for women and 9 teaspoons of added sugars for men, well, that's not a myth. But as the AHA reports, American adults consume an average of 17 teaspoons of added sugar every day, which is more than two to three times the recommended amount. So maybe we are not asking the right question. And maybe if we asked better questions, we wouldn't have to deal with the myth of moderation where sugar is concerned. In other words, if we ask how much sugar is considered moderation, well, the AHA suggests a stricter added sugar limit, which actually is the exact same limit that was suggested by the World Health Organization back in 2015. That is, about 9 teaspoons of added sugars per day for men and about 6 for women. You see where I'm going with this? The whole notion of moderation where sugar's concerned seems to go round and round in circles and focus on the number of teaspoons of added sugars in a day for adults instead of asking, in my humble opinion, a better question. And what is that better question? Well, it's one that no one seems to dare ask because it has the power to bust the myth of moderation where sugar's concerned in the first place. Here's the question I'm asking. Why isn't zero a recommendation where added, free and refined sugars are concerned? 
Why isn't zero even talked about? Except by people like me who are often considered to be extreme. Look, I know I'm not a doctor and I'm certainly no expert like the World Health Organization and I never claim to be. But I am interested in asking better questions. And if we ask the question about how much sugar per day is healthy and get the answer from the World Health Organization or the AHA that it should be no more than 50 grams of added sugar per day, then the answer itself tells me that, well, the question wasn't very good in the first place. Because in my humble opinion and in my experience, and believe me, I'm not the only one, there is no amount of sugar per day that is healthy. None. Zero. And at least that's something that most nutrition experts can agree on, right? That added and refined sugars aren't healthy. They have no nutritional value. And in fact, they've been proven to be pretty unhealthy. So that leaves me wondering why anyone would talk about moderation where sugar's concerned. What is it that we're moderating? The unhealthy effects of sugar? Why would we want the unhealthy effects of sugar at all? Don't we want to eliminate the unhealthy effects of sugar? So I ask the question again. Why isn't zero a recommendation? And who's asking the questions in the first place? I mean, if it's not us consumers, then who is it? Surely the processed foods industry doesn't have a vested interest in pushing the everything-in-moderation narrative where sugar's concerned, right? Hmm. Look, I'm not denying that millions of people have a sweet tooth. In fact, I used to be the world's number one sweet tooth. And I believe that I consumed sugar in moderation. But the harsh reality about sugar is that it's in no way healthy, and for many, many of us, the inability to consume sugar in moderation is what's led us head on into sugar addiction and all the health issues that come with it. As Dr. Robert Lustig says, sugar is now the most ubiquitous foodstuff worldwide and has been added to virtually every processed food, limiting consumer choice and the ability to avoid it. Approximately 80% of the 600,000 consumer packaged foods in the United States have added caloric sweeteners. So even though statistics may show that people are eating less sugar, the reality is that we're far off from actually moderating sugar, whatever that means. Because let's face it, the processed foods industry has made absolutely sure that their products are impossible to moderate. They're engineered for us to crave them and not be able to stop eating them. And yes, you may believe that sugar is okay, that sugar in the right quantity is perfectly safe, and you have the right to your opinion. But I just have to wonder whether if sugar in moderation does actually work, well, why are we seeing such large increases in rates of obesity and type 2 diabetes and fatty liver disease and 
all kinds of health issues that have been linked to high consumption of sugar. I suspect that the general belief in society, especially from nutrition experts, is that zero consumption of added sugars is in itself a myth, or that it's, you know, that it's impossible. Well, excuse my cynicism, but that sounds awfully like a self-fulfilling prophecy, where false expectations lead to their own confirmation. If we get told often enough that we can't live sugar-free, we'll end up believing it. And that people like me, and maybe you, listening to this podcast, are like rare sugar-free unicorns living in a world of self-denial and sadness, having to say no to our deepest desires for sweet things, and basically living a life of suffering. Well, believe that if you want to, but I'm living proof that that belief is itself a myth. I just want to take a quick break to say that if this is your first time here, then welcome and thank you for listening to this podcast. And whether you're new or a regular and you haven't yet rated or reviewed this podcast, could I ask you to scroll down and tap on the stars to rate this podcast and also to write a short review to let me know how this podcast is helping you in your life after sugar. I love reading your reviews. And when you rate and review this podcast, not only does it encourage me to continue making new episodes, but it also helps to share this podcast and have more people see it so that we can help more people feel better and lose weight with less sugar. So again, thank you for rating and reviewing this podcast and for spreading the word about sugar. All right, welcome back to this Mythbusters episode. And I get the feeling that it's not going to be the last Mythbusters episode. So here's another myth about sugar that needs busting. The next myth I'd like to bust is the one that we need to eat at least three times a day. Why? Well, the myth is that eating frequently will keep our blood sugars level and stop our metabolism from going haywire. And look, I'm no doctor or specialist in human biology, but even I can tell that this myth needs busting. Actually, the idea that eating more frequent, smaller meals increases metabolic rate or the number of calories that your body uses up in a given time period is a persistent myth. It is true that digesting a meal raises metabolism slightly and this phenomenon is known as the thermic effect of food. But actually, it's the total amount of food consumed that determines the amount of energy expended during digestion. So, for example, eating, let's say, three meals of 800 calories will cause the same thermic effect 
as eating, say, six meals of 400 calories. There is really no difference. And in any case, the whole question of burning off calories was debunked as a myth ages ago. The myth of calories in, calories out, as a formula for the human body and weight loss, is a myth because it oversimplifies the very complex process of calculating energy intake and expenditure. And more importantly, this myth of calories in, calories out, fails to consider the importance of insulin and how the food you eat affects your production of insulin and, as a consequence, body fat storage. As a simple example, you could actually be eating very low-calorie food and putting on more weight than if you ate higher caloric density foods because the low-calorie foods you could be eating may be stimulating your insulin. An example of low-calorie insulin-producing food if you can call it food, is sugar. So one myth that needs busting is that you need to reduce calories to lose weight, whereas in fact reducing calories from sugar is far more likely to result in weight loss. And does eating more frequently really balance blood sugar levels? Well, science doesn't think so. And studies show that people who eat fewer, larger meals have lower blood glucose levels on average. And of course, that depends on what you eat. When you stick to real whole foods that nourish you and fill you up, you don't get blood glucose spikes. And less frequent eating has also been shown to improve satiety, which is the feeling of fullness, and to reduce hunger or the sensation of hunger, compared to more frequent meals. It's not a myth. Eating less frequently can actually make you feel less hungry. And depending on what you eat, eating more frequently can make you feel more hungry. But again, it all depends on what you eat and not just how often you eat. And while I'm at it, I just thought I'd mention the myth about breakfast being the most important meal of the day. Can we really say that this applies to all 8 billion of us on the planet? Does breakfast really jumpstart your metabolism when you eat as soon as you get up? Well, you can make a case for it, but correlation doesn't equal causation. In other words, No data proves that breakfast is the most important meal of the day. In fact, you could fast through breakfast time and feel just fine. There's really no one-size-fits-all with the breakfast myth. So again, it's not so much about eating or not eating breakfast, or frequent meals for that matter. It's really about what you eat and how what you eat makes you feel. So, what you eat is just as important as how frequently you eat. And what you don't eat can be even more important. Alright, 
What about the myth that your brain needs sugar to function and the myth that your brain needs 130 grams of carbs a day to function properly? I really hope that myth isn't true. Well, fortunately, it's not. It is a biological fact that glucose is an essential metabolic fuel for the brain and the brain runs very nicely on glucose. But that glucose certainly doesn't have to come from carbs and it definitely doesn't have to come from sugar. You know I'm not a neurologist, but I do know how to read and from different sources that I've read, the biological fact is that the brain requires about 50 grams of glucose a day, but this glucose doesn't need to come from dietary carbohydrates. It can also come from other sources like glycerol, which is produced from dietary fat or fat tissue in the body, from lactate and pyruvate, which is produced from glycolysis, and from amino acids, which are produced from protein. And the liver is capable of turning sources other than carbs into glucose via a process known as gluconeogenesis. And the glucose that the liver can produce then travels via the blood and to the brain where it uses it for energy. So if you don't eat a lot of dietary carbs, especially refined carbs like sugar and flour, then the brain can get all its energy either from gluconeogenesis or from ketones. Ketone bodies are produced when insulin levels are low because you're not eating a lot of carbs and therefore you're not stimulating your blood glucose and in turn, your insulin. Ketones are produced when you eat foods that turn into fatty acids. These fatty acids travel to the liver and then the liver turns them into ketones and these ketones can be used as energy in cells and by the brain. And the brain will only use ketones for energy if glucose is not sufficiently available. That doesn't mean that using ketones is bad. It doesn't even mean that using glucose is good or bad. It's just a biological fact. If your brain can use both glucose or ketones easily, then you're what's called metabolically flexible. So, you don't need carbs for the brain to function. And you certainly don't need sugar for the brain to function. Does that mean you should never eat carbs ever again? No, of course it doesn't. But just know that biologically, your brain can function without sugar or carbs. In fact, I myself haven't eaten sugar for over eight years and I think my brain works just fine. All right, last but not least for today at least is the myth that you need sugar to have fun in life. It's a very common myth and in fact I used to believe it. I couldn't imagine what my life would be like without sugar and chocolate and desserts and sweet treats. It just seemed like a joyless, dull, awful life. But actually, the very opposite is true. In fact, 
If you listen to episode 21 of the Life After Sugar podcast, you'll hear me talk about not needing sweetness as a treat anymore. Can you imagine not needing sugar anymore? How would you feel? What would you eat or do? Check out episode 21 and also episode 100 of the Life After Sugar podcast when I talk about celebrating with less sugar. And I give you tips to handle restaurant menus or invitations to dinner when you're sugar-free. And also how to reframe how you see sugar and treats. It sounds easy enough to say, but it's actually a real challenge to reassess how we see life and sugar's place in it. The myth or the belief is that if you quit sugar completely, you'll suffer terribly from cravings. But the reality is that for many people, abstainers especially, quitting sugar completely, and very often quitting flour as well, is the path to no more cravings. It sounds very counterintuitive, but I've guided enough people through this process to know that the myth of a life full of cravings and sadness is busted when you cut sugar. All the same, it's actually really difficult to do on your own. Believe me, I know. Which is why I created the After Sugar Club, which is a private, friendly and encouraging community that's not on Facebook, where you'll get the support and the encouragement you need to take your first steps to get rid of cravings and live a joyful life without needing sugar. For a small monthly membership fee, you'll get access to an exclusive library of resources to help you start living your craving-free life with confidence. Plus, you'll be able to attend our twice-monthly support calls with me in a small group of like-minded members. You can join the After Sugar Club at any time and stay as long as you want to. To join us in the After Sugar Club, go to aftersugarclub.com and click in the top menu on After Sugar Club. And if you want more personalised guidance from me, as well as weekly accountability calls to bust more myths about sugar in a really meaningful way for your life, then the 90-day program Freedom from Cravings formula could be just the thing for you. And when you join the Freedom from Cravings formula 90-day program, as a special bonus, you'll have unlimited access to the After Sugar Club, free of charge for a whole year. The Freedom from Cravings formula program opens a few times a year. And if you're on my mailing list, you'll be the first to know when registrations open again. To join the program, all you have to do is to book a clarity call with me so that we can talk about your specific needs and whether the program is a good fit for you. Go to aftersugarclub.com to see everything that's included in the program and to schedule a clarity call with me. That's it for this week. Keep in touch. And see you soon for another episode.